And good morning, everyone. Welcome to week seven of Gang Green and Goudreau right here on Percolated Media. This is Goudreau here. And the reason I say good morning is because I am actually sitting in front of my computer at 4.30 a.m. Because Harrison, his sleep schedule has been a little erratic. And once you have kids, I'm sure all of you that do know this better than anyone, you lose all track of time. It no longer is a construct. And you just go with the flow. So speaking of going with the flow, as I take a sip of my coffee, is talking about what's happening on the site. After what seems like an eternity, we are finally at the end of our Batman retrospective officially. Because we are reviewing Matt Reeves' 2022 The Batman this Friday on Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast. We're ecstatic. As I've talked about, it is a movie that none of us have discussed with each other. And because of that, we went into this recording completely blind. And I think it made for one hell of a discussion. Blind as a bat, if you will. And I say that the retrospective is officially ending because in talking with the boys, we are going to be launching a Patreon. One of the ideas we talked about was doing a commentary series about some of the animated Batman movies that were not theatrically released, so we couldn't include them. Making that sort of a monthly drop on the Patreon to get some. Every little bit of money helps, especially being a little, you know, upstart site as we are. Plenty of details will come on that, so don't expect the Patreon to launch within the next week. Probably not even by the end of the year, but I just wanted to throw that out there that it is something that we are actively working on. Now you're asking, what are we doing after Batman? This is where we take as much of a 180 as possible. Garrett, myself, and Mike Ganeri, who was a panelist we had at the Binge Days, he did the Hannibal series with us. We reviewed Michael Mann, M. Night Shyamalan. I think we're going a little bit more prestigious than M. Night, because we are doing Scorsese. Specifically, we are doing the films that he has done with Leonardo DiCaprio. Originally, we thought their new movie was going to be coming out this year, which is why we slated it for this time period. But of course, everything got moved because of COVID and production changes. So while we won't be necessarily building up to the new movie, we will be covering Gangs of New York through The Wolf of Wall Street. And then when Devil in the White City drops or whatever that their new movie is called, it escapes me, because like I said, it's 4.30 in the morning. We will record that as a one-off review sometime next year. So we're really excited. You know, this is a, a, a duo that holds a lot of clout. And the movies have a pretty sizable reputation. But I can tell you, with a couple shows in the bag already, we will not always agree. And one of the five is a show where I was just the mediator and listened to the two of them go back and forth on opposite ends of the spectrum. So we are really coming into our own on the site. And on that note, before Halloween, I will be dropping a one-off solo show about the scariest movies for me. 
expect that probably on Halloween, to be perfectly honest. I think that's when I'm going to drop that show because it's most appropriate. But more news to come on that later. And now with four minutes of preamble, let's get into the topic of the show. Talk about the Jets. It's been an up and down week. Ever since the game where we were victorious at Lambeau Field. So I'll get into the big news story before talking about the game. Because it did prove to be a sizable development before we even flew in a mile high. Wide receiver Elijah Moore, 2020 run, 2021 second round pick. Put it out there that he had requested a trade. Apparently, he was dismissed from training camp due to an uncharacteristic blow-up. And Sala said he would not play against Denver. I've had my critiques of Sala as a game-time coach. But it's undeniable that he knows what he's doing when it comes to dealing with his personnel and his players. They have the utmost respect for him. Obvious they play for him for a full 60 minutes. This is not a Todd Bowles situation where they outright quit on him. And it looks like the locker room is largely bought in, except for Elijah Moore. So that's why this was as surprising as it was. During his rookie season, Elijah Moore was not one to throw a fit or question his involvement in the offense. So to have this basically come out of nowhere was a shocking development. And my perspective on it is this. I think Moore chose the worst inopportune time to demand a trade. And here's why. The team has been winning. I can understand if this team was 1-5 or 0-6, even 2-4 where the offense was doing nothing, he was not getting targets, the team was just the typical Jets, Adam Gase-esque dumpster fire, that would cause some mark of validity or justification for him to demand a trade. Because he is immensely talented. Last year when he played, which I will get into momentarily in my argument, He was the most explosive player on the team. But I thought his timing was wrong because we're winning. They had won three in a row. Sitting at four and two. Best record the Jets have had in a very long time at this point in the season. It came across as entirely selfish. It takes 53 men to be a team. And for someone who plays a dependent position, which is what a wide receiver is, you can be as talented or as crisp of a route runner as you can be, but at the end of the day, you are contingent upon how your quarterback plays. And Elijah Moore has not been a part of this offense, and I talked about this early in the season, that for the most part, the game plans have not really been orchestrated around him. But regardless of that, I have to sit here as a fan and say, which would I rather have? Do I want to see Elijah Moore get force-fed and the team lose because the, the, the game plan is not meshing with what the defense is giving you? 
Or do I ask him to swallow his pride, say your time will come, but let's not let a good thing die. To quote Suspicious Minds, the Elvis song, which I, I love so much. I lean towards the latter every freaking time. So I was perturbed when Elijah Moore put this stuff out there. I thought it was selfish. I thought it was immature. And it seemed to me that he's been getting some bad advice. Because let's not forget, he's friends with A.J. Brown. Who threw a hissy fit in Tennessee. And that's why he's now with the Eagles. I know you want to make yours. Because as a second round pick, you don't have the financial benefits of being a first round pick. Nor do you have the fifth year option on your contract. So he is beholden to this team for the next two and a half seasons, unless he gets traded. So while I don't want to trade him, because I do think he's a very good player, if he is going to be a distraction continuously and put himself before the team, you have no choice but to get rid of him. Now, I'm not trading him for pennies on the dollar, which is the one thing I have to praise about Joe Douglas. I think we finally have our general manager, and here's why. He has been one of the great trade masters as far as exceeding value when he's a seller. Look at Jamal Adams. Look at Sam Darnold. And he hasn't had to cough up the dough to get valuable pieces. He's he's gotten basically bargains for valuable players. And that actually happened yesterday, which or two days ago, excuse me. So I think anything less than a second-round pick for Elijah Moore, I would not take. I do believe that this situation can be rectified, especially with the game coming up and a tough next two games. So if Elijah Moore wants to prove his value and show that he can be a team player, it's on him, as Sala said. He's open to mending the relationship, but Elijah Moore is going to make that connection. So. I'm sure there would be teams willing to give up a second-round pick or, hell, even a first-round pick if Joe Douglas threw in an additional you know, mid-round pick. Like if he threw in uh, Elijah Moore in a third, maybe he'd get a first-round pick, but who knows. So my instinct is not to trade Elijah Moore. It is to keep him, but that is reliant on how his demeanor continues to be illustrated. And his social media is not helping his case because he posted about facing persecution, which just was the biggest crock of you-know-what I have heard in quite some time. So that with that distraction, it sent the wrong message to me that this game against the Broncos would be what some teams would call a trap game. And I say that because of who the Jets are playing this upcoming week. They're playing the Patriots, which is a whole conversation I'm going to have in a little bit. I would not put it past the Jets to be so focused on that game that they overlook a Denver Broncos team that, let's be honest, has been the biggest disappointment in the NFL, especially on offense. They do have the number one pass defense, and they've shut everyone down. 
from Derek Carr to Justin Herbert to Geno Smith, who's having a comeback season. So I knew it would be a challenge for the offense. But another thing that scared me was Russell Wilson not playing, because as bad as Wilson has been this season, there's always that unknown of playing a backup quarterback. And Brett Rippon, luckily, we have some familiarity with because the last time we played Brett Rippon, he beat us when Adam Gase was here. And that game was at the Meadowlands, or MetLife, excuse me. I always call it the Meadowlands because that nostalgically takes me back to better times. So I knew this would be a tough game, and if the Jets blew it, nor would I be surprised, and nor would I be angry, necessarily, because the Broncos have one hell of a defense. So I'm ecstatic that the Jets went on the road again. They're now 4-0 on the road. You can say whatever you want about the quarterbacks they've played. I do think there's some merit to the argument that the Jets, who have they beaten, outside of Aaron Rodgers. But they won road games in Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Green Bay, and Denver. Three of those places are historically nightmares to win in, if you're the opposition. So while the tides are shifting, as far as the teams that they're playing now not being what they used to be, it does say a lot to the character and the culture that Sala is building. That they are going into these places and winning road games. 4-0 counts for something. And now they sit at 5-2. and two, Which I still cannot believe I am saying. I don't care who they've beaten. All I care about is the win and getting out of there unscathed and on to the next opponent. Now, fortunately, that second point reared its ugly head during this game. But amidst the winning... The one thing you want to see is how is this team overcoming adversity that's put in front of them? They did it earlier this year by playing Joe Flacco over Zach Wilson. They've had players that are lost for the season, even prior to this game, which is the the, the worst kind of takeaway from this W. You know, it's we won, but at what cost? They've shown that they can adjust mid-game. They've won in multiple ways. They've won with their defense. They've won with key special teams plays like blocked punts, Greg Zerline being a clutch kicker. And there's been games where the offense has had to come back from double digits. Look at the Cleveland game. Look at the Pittsburgh game where Zach Wilson led two touchdown drives in the fourth quarter. They're finding ways to win without being exclusive to one method. And like I said, you can nitpick the quarterbacks they've played. It is not murderer's row of quarterbacks. But I think part of that is negated by this team, A, being so young, and B, winning in the midst of deficiencies, and problems. So looking at this game, 
as a fan against the Broncos. <clears throat> I'm going to start with the defense. Yeah, you can say it was Brett Rippon. But they've given up 19 points in the last two games combined. They held Aaron Rodgers to 10 points in his own building, and they held the Broncos to 9, which is below what they're scoring. And that says a lot as far as how anemic the Broncos' offense has been with Russell Wilson. But but they are shutting down offenses. And I don't care who the quarterback is. Denver's got some pretty damn good receivers. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy. They were almost non-factors. Largely because, in my opinion, outside the Eagles... We have the best quarterback team in the NFL with Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed. These guys are the ultimate tone setters. Sauce Gardner leads the NFL, not just rookies. He leads all cornerbacks and passes deflected slash interceptions with 12. As a rookie, he is doing everything that he's being asked to do. He is AFC Defensive Player of the Week. And in my mind, he is the runaway for Defensive Rookie of the Year. That is a pick that Joe Douglas sort of gambled on, like I've talked about, as far as positional value. But this one-two punch at corner, I'm not going to say they're Revis and Cromartie, because that is as good as I've ever seen in my lifetime. But if they can continue this level of play, they'll certainly enter the conversation. They're physical. They are really good with their hands. They know how to play the receivers without drawing P.I. flags for the most part. Defensive line only got one sack, but they sh shut down the run. And they held Brett Ribbon to nine points. So when I look at the defense, this has been Salah's biggest critique for me last year was how bad the defense was. And he has turned it around. I think when you are a coach who comes as a coordinator, by your second year, you have to have drastically improved your side of the ball for me to buy into you as a overall coach. And I think Salah has done that in that aspect. The defense looks a hell of a lot better, and they are exceeding expectations. But there's going to be some challenges to come where they're going to be put to more difficult tests. So I'm not going to crown them just yet. But it is a sizable improvement over their body of work in the past. So now we get to the offense. And this is the where the pain comes from. Because we lost our two off, best offensive players for the year in this game. Brees Hall, who was on fire and was definitely in the conversation for Offensive Rookie of the Year, tore his ACL, he's out for the year. And it sucks. It hurts because he was the engine for this offense in the last month or so. So while I don't believe he is entirely replaceable, they do have Michael Carter, who is a great second option, but he's not the bell cow running back that Brees Hall could be. And knowing this led to a development after this game, once the diagnosis was unfortunately confirmed. 
So that hurts. As does losing Elijah Vera Tucker, who has been the rock star on this offensive line, the best lineman by far. He's played multiple positions. Torres Tricep, he's out for the year. On an offensive line where we have had five players on IR at some point this season. That is a a deficiency that is very difficult to overcome. Five offensive linemen on injured reserve. It blows because it makes it all the more difficult for this offense to run, and in particular, it makes it harder to evaluate Zach Wilson when he's running for his life every other play. But you got to, like I said, next man up. I'm not going to throw in the towel, and I don't think you can make those two losses make you wave the white flag and say the season's over. I think that's unacceptable. I think that is a loser mentality. And to quote next man up, that is the approach this team needs to take. George Fant coming off IR in the next few weeks, as will Max Mitchell, hopefully. So that'll help offset losing AVT. But it's terrible nevertheless, because you don't want to see your best players out for the year. It just sucks. As I mentioned, Zach Wilson was running for his life for a lot of this game. And by his standards, by any quarterback standards, his stat line wasn't good. But there's an important detail that I think cannot be overstated. He's gone three straight weeks without turning the ball over. Which some of his draft contemporaries have been unable to do. Hi, Trevor Lawrence. You can call Zach Wilson a game manager. And I do think that has been his role. But he is 4-0 as a starter. But you can also say he's only thrown one touchdown in his four games which is the truth. I don't think this style is all built on longevity. I think at some point he's going to have to put on his big boy pants and throw 35, 40 times a game. But I don't think you should if it's uncalled for. You have to go by what each specific game is dictating. And he's been doing that. But My concern with Wilson, and I've had this since his rookie season, is he's got to improve on the short to somewhat intermediate passes. Too many times he's got too much (laughs) sauce on the ball where he misses a wide open receiver in the backfield or on a tight end screen because he's got happy feet. And I think that's somewhat attributable to his offensive line not giving him the best of protection. If you look at his stat line, when he's under pressure versus a clean pocket, he's two different quarterbacks. He's got to improve when people are getting in his face because it's going to happen. The best quarterbacks and the best offensive lines in the NFL will give up pressures. And you got to learn to make your reads and don't throw the big, you know, Ducks that Jet quarterbacks have thrown in the past. He is helped by his tremendous escapability. 
there were some plays in this game where he juked defenders, ran for a couple first downs. So that aspect of his game, I do think, <clears throat> excuse me, does need to be utilized more because he can run. He's not built like Justin Fields or a Josh Allen, so I don't think he should take those kind of hits. But you can slide, you can run out of bounds. Design some runs for him. Or do the Justin Fields approach, where if your first read's not there, just take off and run. Just don't slide and kick people in the balls like Mac Jones. I'm not ready to give up on Zach, nor am I willing to endorse him as the franchise quarterback. But I think we'll know by the end of this year if he's the guy that we can really build around. I'm not saying we're going to draft a quarterback next year or we're going to trade for, I don't know, a Lamar Jackson. But I think if he doesn't have a couple games where he really is the sole reason they win, the noise will get loud, and there will be some questions about bringing some legitimate competition in, like a Garoppolo or possibly a Derek Carr. Things go south for the Raiders. you got to explore every option. And as Jeff fans, we know it's difficult, borderline impossible for us to find our, our franchise quarterback. But 4-0 is 4-0. And with Brees Hall out for the year, he's got to step up. These receivers, Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, if he sticks around, Berrios, who I got to say, every time Braxton Berrios touches the ball, good things happen. He had like a 27-yard run in this game. He's been good on special teams. He had a jet sweep touchdown a couple weeks ago. He is our, he's the better Taysom Hill. He's the smaller Taysom Hill. And he could probably throw the ball better than Taysom Hill. I'm just saying. So I would love to see him be a more vital part of this offense. Same thing with the tight ends, but I, I've been saying that all, all season, basically. Those are a quarterback's best friend. But Zach's got to improve on getting them the ball, which I think is partially why Elijah Moore has been frustrated. They're, they're not throwing the ball 40 times a game. He was throwing it between 20 to 25 and winning because they've been so good at running the ball. So good things are happening, but losing those players has sort of taken the, the joy out of Victory Monday. And like a proverbial psychic, I think Joe Douglas felt that, our general manager. And I love, 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 love the acquisition of James Robinson from the Jaguars. He traded a sixth-round pick, which could become a fifth-rounder if Robinson meets certain parameters. That, to me, is highway robbery. Because James Robinson, former 1,000-yard rusher for the Jaguars, is an undrafted free agent. I think he'll be a – he won't be Brees Hall. That kind of burst is difficult to find. But adding him to the rotation of Carter and Ty Johnson and Bam Knight, who they brought up from the practice squad, you can still have a substantial run game with those three guys, or four, depending on if, if Knight plays. Not only do I like the the decision to get a player like that for, like I said, highway robbery, 
of a price tag. Shows to me that Joe Douglas believes in this team. And in particular, he looks at the AFC and says, just because we lost those guys doesn't mean we're out of it. In fact, let's let's fucking go for it. As I said, I only fear the Bills and the Chiefs. When I look at the rest of the AFC, I think there is a clear path for the Jets to, to land a wildcard spot if they can keep the ship upright and not hit an iceberg like the Titanic. We have 10 games to go. If they go 5-5, five and five, they'll finish 10-7, and seven, which is the best record I have seen <laughs> with the Jets in years. And I think that would be enough to get you a wildcard spot, especially with the way divisions like the AFC South and the AFC West are just beating up on each other or just outright suck. And with an additional spot since the playoff format has changed, if the Jets can finish 500 over these next 10 games, which I think is doable. We got the Lions, we got the Jaguars, we got the Bears. Although if the Bears play like they did against the Patriots on Monday night, might be a little bit tougher than anticipated. Another game against Miami. Two games against the Bills. Game against the Seahawks. So there, there's some challenges in there. But I don't think it'd be asking a lot for this team to win five of their next ten. I think it's realistic. And I think it should be the expectation regardless of these injuries. Now, if the injuries continue to pile up, may have to adjust. But if they win one more game, they beat the Vegas over-under because it was set at five and a half. And they've already won more games than they did all of last year. So they're playing with house money. I'm seeing the improvement. I'm seeing the imprint of Sala. And I love Joe Douglas getting James Robinson because it signals to me he's like, we're, we're going we're gonna to go for it because I believe in this team. And I believe that we have a viable shot to make the playoffs. So that encapsulates my thoughts on the Bronco game. Happy they won, but it was a heavy price to pay. Brings me to Sunday. Patriots come to MetLife. I apologize for the vulgarity in advance, but I want to beat the shit out of the Patriots. I hate the Dolphins more than I hate the Patriots because there's a certain amount of respect you have to give Bill Belichick for what he's accomplished. Dolphins haven't done shit in my lifetime. They've beaten us, sure, but we have more playoff wins than they do in my lifetime. I'm not going to say I fear the Patriots, but I always have that unease playing against Belichick because he thrives on beating young quarterbacks. Last year, Zach played his worst games against New England. But things have changed. Zach's not throwing those careless picks. Hasn't been playing too much hero ball. And on paper, I do think the Jets have more quote-unquote talent than the Patriots do. But what scares me is Bill's going to have his team ready after that embarrassment they played in Foxborough against the Bears on Monday night. I think that's going to motivate him to have these guys playing hard. But I think that'll be countered by a very ruckus MetLife Stadium. That place is going to be ballistic. Not only because the Jets are winning, but because it's the Patriots. And we have been the doormat for them for the better part of 20 years. We've had our 
our victories, you know, we beat them in Foxborough in the playoffs under Rex. But we have not beaten them since 2015, and this is the year. You want to show you're not the same old Jets? You beat the shit out of Belichick and the Patriots. Doesn't look like they have a quarterback, because if you have two, you have zero. If you know that famous saying. Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, I don't care who the quarterback is. I think this defense will step up and shut down their offense. Patriots have one big deep threat which, with uh, Devontae Parker. And you got to stop Stevenson and Harris out of the backfield. But I think they need to say, hey, Mac or Bailey, throw deep on us and watch what happens with Sauce and Reed. I think our defensive line matches up really well against their offensive line. I think we can get there with four. So I have the utmost confidence in the defense that they'll keep this game close. But it's going to come down to Zach Wilson. He's going to have to win this game. Because I do believe Belichick is going to stop the run. Because Belichick takes away what you do best. That'll be stopping the run. And shutting down Garrett Wilson, who's our best receiver. Especially if Corey Davis doesn't play. He's day-to-day with a knee injury. This is an ample opportunity for Elijah Moore to step in and be a vital part of this team, if he chooses to. Bygones will be bygones if he balls out on Sunday, because he is said to be active. But I mentioned Bill's going to stuff the run conceptually, but when I watched what the Bears did on Monday night, they rushed for almost 250 yards on a Patriots team. I think not having Brees Hall hurts because I think we'd get close to that if he was playing. But Michael Carter last year led all running backs in broken tackles and yards after contact. So him, James Robinson, who's also a very violent runner. Zach gets out of the pocket, makes some plays with his legs. I think the formula is there, but there's going to be opportunities in key moments where Zach Wilson's going to have to throw the ball to beat the Patriots. I don't think this will be a high-scoring game, but on my confidence scale, I'm at about a 6 or a 7 just because it's the Patriots. I will believe in this team if they beat the Patriots because we haven't for so long. And then we play the Bills, which we're not in the same stratosphere as. I just hope we can keep it close. And then we go into our bye for some much-needed rest. So I'm happy that we'll have a winning record going into the bye week, regardless of these next two games. At worst, we go in 5-4. and four. At best, we finish 7-2, which I think is unlikely. But 6-3, and three, say we beat the Patriots and lose to the Bills, you're in a great spot. <clears throat> and I think it's, the expectation should be to beat the Patriots. Like I said, MetLife is going to be crazy. The energy is going to be there. And this is a wounded Patriot team. Yeah, we got our wounds too. But after years of being a doormat, you had the homecoming game that Richard Seymour called it, the game last year where they put up 54 on us and took a cheap shot on Zach Wilson. Seems like the Jets had played with bulletin board material, like Aaron Rodgers. There was the Jair Alexander quote where he said, if we lose to the Jets, we'll have problems. I think this team's got the right mentality. To go out there and manhandle the Patriots. But they got to do it. 
I'm not going to be as drastic as to call this a must win. But I will be very upset if this game gets out of hand and the Jets get embarrassed. Because that'll show me that the team is taking a step back. And I don't want to hear about injuries being an excuse. Even with Hall and AVT being out, I think there is more than enough ammunition for us to win this game. And I'm glad that the betting markets keep making us underdogs. We're underdogs all season. We're 1.5 underdogs to the Patriots in our own building. I'm glad because I think our team sees that and they'll use that as motivation. So get excited, Jet fans. Be there. Get loud. Support our team because they need it, especially with everything that's happening. But it's, I do genuinely believe things are looking up despite the circumstances we're dealing with. But it does come down to Zach. Does come down to this coaching staff to have a great game plan against the uh, the Patriots. So I'm excited. I hope we win. And I'll be, like I said, disappointed and borderline upset if we lose. So depending on what happens, it'll be a very interesting show next week. So I think my time is just about up. Greatly appreciate all of you listening. It's been a season of largely ups, but there's been some downs. But if you told me the Jets were going to be 5-2 and two going into a game against the Patriots, I'd call that best-case scenario. That exceed my expectations, because like I said, for so long, people were saying the Jets were going to be 0-9 or 1-8, like Brady Quinn, who's walking it back. I'd accuse him of having post-concussion syndrome, which is why his takes are so bad. But I was reminded that you don't get concussions from holding a clipboard. Sorry, not sorry, Brady. Stop trying to backtrack on your predictions. Because he said, oh, I never said the Jets were going to be 0-9. Even though it's on record, you can look on Twitter, you can look at CBS Sports. So I'm happy people keep doubting us. Because I think the team is responding to that skepticism. And I hope we're underdogs the entire year. Because it's working with the Giants, too. They're 6-1 and one and have yet to be favored in a single game. Who cares how you win? Just win, baby. To quote another team at our conference. So that's my thoughts on the Jets. You know, it's 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 been a roller coaster of a week. But I like what I'm seeing, and I like the approach. Just got to get it done. So until next week. Thank you all very much for listening. Be sure to tune in to all of our other shows. And as always, uh, let's go Jets. Thank you, everyone. Good night.